Mindfulness Mode 383. A lot of us live in this place called the conscious mind, the part of our mind that's making decisions. It's very uh, realist. It's the part of us that um, is operating in just basically analytical mode. And But there's this other part of us called the unconscious mind. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. I'm so excited to tell you that today I have an author on who has just finished a new book called Making Sense of Mindfulness, and it's a great book. I've read it from cover to cover and thoroughly enjoyed it, and he's also just finished an online course called Making Sense of Mindfulness, the online course. A little bit about the course, it's an interactive and immersive learning environment as you explore and experience the five key principles to mindfulness mindfulness practice. By studying this course, you will bring more balance, focus, and meaning into your life. And I've had a look at the course and I can assure you it's very well put together, very thoughtful, very professional. And what's even better is for a limited time, you can get $100 off the price of the course. So you can go to mindfulnessmode.com slash ms O-M, standing for Making Sense of Mindfulness, M-S-O-M. This is an affiliate link, so I hope you get a chance to check out this course. It's very valuable. Now, I'm excited to share the interview with you, and I want to tell you that I did go to Toronto to meet him, and it was wonderful to meet Keith in person, spend time with him. And so without further ado, here is the inspiring Keith McPherson. I'm sitting right here with Keith McPherson. Hey Keith, it's awesome having you on the show. And today I'm not just sitting here remotely, I'm in Toronto, in the in the heart of Toronto, sitting here with you in person. So it's awesome. Thank you so much for being on on the show and agreeing to meet with me, Keith. Oh, I love it. I love that we're actually in the physical form connected here. <laughs> I know. Just great. <laughs> so do I. I think this is great. So Keith, I always start with this question. What does mindfulness mean to you? Wow, that's a great question. Well, the best version of mindfulness or the definition that I heard that really resonated with me the most was from an author named Susan Kaiser Greenland. Um, she was uh, an author. She does a lot of kids mindfulness work. And she said, mindfulness is paying attention with kindness in the present moment to yourself, other people, and the world around you. And when I first heard that, I thought, well, that sounds really easy. But uh, I'm beginning to realize that, I mean, this is what the practice is all about, is paying attention in the moment to myself, especially. How am I being? And then everyone around me as well. What's going on in this present moment? And coming back when I wander. And sometimes the biggest challenge seems to be with myself. Do you find that? Oh, I think that's where it all begins is, and I think it's a misconception a lot of times is people think mindfulness is about, you know, serving everybody else and making Mm -hmm. everybody else feel peaceful, but it really does start within me. And if I'm not, um, finding that peace within, it's very hard to give that away. (laughs) Well, Keith, you've written the book on mindfulness, making sense of mindfulness. And it really does make sense of mindfulness because of the style of writing, the way you've written it in such an easy to digest manner. It doesn't make it seem like 
like it's like a little bit weird or far out there. <laughs> You've just written it in such an easy to read way. When did you decide to write this book and how did that come about? Thank you. Well, that, that happened about five years ago. I have this morning practice that I do every morning where I um, carve out about an hour to two hours where I, I meditate and I do yoga and I channel a page of writing in a scribbler every morning, meaning channeling just automatic whatever comes through writing. Mm-hmm. And one particular morning about five years ago, I was doing that practice and my hand just kept going. It was, just took over. There was this um, flow that was happening on the page. And then about two hours later after writing a number of 20 pages, I think came out that day, I got this intuition this is a book. You're writing a book. And I have to tell you, I mean, my resistance to that, my mind just went, you don't know what you're doing writing a book. You're not an author. You've never, you don't know how to write a book. But I was so intrigued that I kept coming back every day and just more kept coming. It was just dumping out on the page. So cut tape. And five years later, um, Pure Later shows up at my house with this uh, pre-order of 2,500 books that I have to say, ordering all those books and putting them in my garage, that was a big workout. Wow. But um, the book shows up, and I open it, and I start reading it. And I go, I think the publisher made an error. Like, I don't remember writing half of this. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really channeled automatic process for me. And um, I really feel like the spirit came through, and I was a channel. I just had to put this out, like channel it out. It was a real, real privilege and honor to do that. And it all started with the cat came back. Oh, yeah. And blowing in the wind. That's right. That's right. That's really a cool story <laughs> that you tell in the book about, uh, it, because it, it, take, it makes it so personal about how you got started with your music. And of course, you were on American Idol back in, what was that, 2006? 2006. Actually, Six. it was the Canadian yeah. Idol version or, of yeah, American Idol. Canadian Idol, of course it was. It was Canadian Canada. Idol. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, well, you know, that was really when I think back to the beginning of where did I first encounter mindfulness practice and become aware of the foundation of it, which is uh, to me, all things are connected. Um, it was in grade seven and I was failing French class in grade seven. Uh, we had to take French in Canada and it was just not my best subject. So I, I went to my teacher in tears one day after school and I was like, is there anything that I could do to get my, my grade up in French? And my teacher was kind enough to give me an extra assignment. So I uh, went home that night and my mom had this guitar laying around at the house. And so I used to pick this guitar up and practice a few chords here and there. And that particular night I was practicing and all of a sudden it dawned on me that I could make my French project a song. So I translated Bob Dylan's song, Blowing in the Wind, into Souffle dans le vent. I think that's how it was. <laughs> yeah. And I recorded it on a cassette tape, if you remember those. I do. From the 80s or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I ended up getting an A-plus on the assignment. My teacher um, gave me this A-plus and... That got my grade up in French to a D minus, which was great. And my teacher came back and said, do you want to sing this song in front of the school? And I don't know about you, Bruce, but the last thing I wanted to do in the seventh grade was get up in front of all my peers and sing. I mean, my voice was cracking. Right. I, was like, I can't do this. So something came over me, though, to say yes. And uh, I remember standing in front of the school gym singing Souffle dans le vent, and my worst nightmare took place. Uh, Stephanie, who I had a crush on, was laughing with Maria. And it just rippled down the whole row of students. And the whole gym kind of started just making fun of me, essentially. And it was the first time I really felt that loud mm-hmm. voice in my head come up going, you're failing. This is a bad idea. Right. And as that's all taking place, um, I get this intuition that says, 
play the kid's song, The Cat Came Back. You just learned the chords. And this is by an artist named Fred Penner, right. big Canadian children's singer. Yeah. So I broke into The Cat Came Back, and all of a sudden, it was like magic came over the gym. I remember this clearly. What went from like all these kids making fun of me and laughing turned into a big sing-along of The Cat Came Back. And I remember looking out and seeing that and thinking, this is some, there's something here. This is powerful. And I've come to find, with music especially, it's an entryway for me, when a good song comes on, it doesn't matter all the things that separate you on the surface, different skin color, race, gender. It's like under the surface of all that, there's something that's connecting us together. And music, they say, is the universal language. I believe it because it has this energetic way of connecting us. And so for me, I mean, that, that's how this all started was seventh grade. I didn't know it at the time, but I look back and that's where I realized all things are truly connected. Wow, that's incredible. And then you started doing more and more performing later. When did you start doing that? Yeah, well, I always wanted to be a, an actor when I was a kid. Okay. I, I was a typical Canadian uh, boy who my dad wanted me to play hockey. So I, I was in that for a while and I just went, I can't do this. I, the body checking and stuff, I, if you, you can't see me, but I'm like this, I'm kind of a tiny guy. So as soon as body checking happened, I was like, I'm out. Yeah. And um, there was a, a couple friends of mine that were really into acting at the time. And I just used to look at them and go, man, that looks like so cool. So I started uh, auditioning for plays and mm-hmm. one thing led to the next and I, I just became an actor. Uh-huh. And that's really, I think that for me, the, the original beginnings of all of this and then music took place and I started learning guitar in grade seven and, um, one thing led to the next. And I feel like the whole career of mine has been a combination of, of music, uh, performing, acting for sure, but also like this integration and more and more so of spirituality and a deepening that way. So it's just been a, like a really beautiful synergy of things. Well, when I listen to you on your podcast, you have this great way of connecting and it's great that you called it that. It's called Let's Connect, isn't it? That's right. Let's yeah. Connect. Let's the Connect. Podcast. It's a great show. I highly recommend it. And you, you really do connect with your guests and they connect with you. And, you know, I think it's a wonderful podcast to listen to. But, um, you know, I I was reading in your book, well, I read your book and just loved it, but I love how it just flows from one section to an- another. But in your book, you've got five principles yes. to integrate mindfulness into your daily life. So it's very practical about you, how you can go about and do this. So mm-hmm. what is the first step if you want to integrate mindfulness into your life? Maybe you're listening, listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I don't even know where to start. What would you say, <laughs> Keith? Right. Well, you know, I think a big misconception and as I was interviewing people for the book, it's asking, what does mindfulness mean to you? Similar to that question you yes. asked me. Uh, there was a lot of people saying, well, um, well, one person said, isn't that that practice where you sit around and taste raisins? Like, <laughs> I don't have time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently there's that practice where you there slowly is. taste a raisin. That's right. Um, and there was a, a big misconception besides that was people would say, well, that's that practice where you do nothing. Like, I, this is, I'm too busy to do nothing. Why would I do nothing? And so part of the writing of this book intuitively came through to write a book that helps people make the realization and connection that mindfulness isn't necessarily another add-on on your to-do list. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's not the practice of doing nothing to me. Um, it's really becoming present to how am I being while I'm doing how am I being right now in this moment as we're having this conversation, uh, as you're listening to the podcast, as you're driving your car? How am I being? So often we're on autopilot and we're not paying attention. So to me, 
um, principle one came through, knowing that all things are connected. Principle one says everything begins as an inner dream. And this is quite a powerful thing. If we were to break this down, we could probably spend an hour talking about this. I'm sure we could. But just in, in essence, this idea of inner dreaming, all things begin as an inner dream. Even right now as you're listening to this, if you just look around in your environment, everything that you place your focus on was only once imagined. So, you know, from the car you might be driving to these microphones we're speaking in, to the clothes you wear, to the fact you could pull a device out, push a button, see somebody in Australia. It's like somebody had to go into their imagination and dream this up. And to me, in this framework, our thoughts, what we're, what we're imagining, those images in our mind that are happening on a daily basis are creating the beginning of what's going to show up in the world in this physical form. So we're always dreaming. Whenever we think a thought, we're in inner dreaming. And it's not just when you're sleeping at night or you're marinating on dreams. Right. It's right now if you're in a daydream, when you've left the building and you're thinking about, what do I want to create? And so monitoring this, a really simple practical way to integrate mindfulness in this principle is to just start monitoring, what am I thinking about? What am I dreaming about on a regular basis? And as Louise Hay used to say, one of my favorite authors, she used to say, are your thoughts building you up or are your thoughts beating you up? Because there's, you know, we think about 60,000 thoughts a day mm -hmm. and a large majority of them are chronic repetitive thoughts. And a lot of those thoughts are beating us up. Yes, they are. They're, yeah. they're, it can start in the morning. You wake up and you think, oh, I'm so tired. It's like cold out. I don't want to go outside. And then every day you start thinking that this becomes your reality. You're mm -hmm. creating this. So to start really monitoring, what are my inner dreams? What am I thinking about? Um, that's principle one in essence. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I really like the five principles. And toward the end of the book, you said this, and I'm going to read this because I just thought this was so powerful. Imagine a world where elementary school students are taught to love one another and practice compassion on a regular basis. A world where teachers don't see particular students as problem children, but instead come from a perspective of nothing is wrong with you. Yeah, what kind of a world would that be? Wouldn't that be incredible? And and so well written that you put that together. And that's that's sort of how you ended up your discussion of mindfulness and and making sense of mindfulness. And you know, if you're listening to this now, don't delay. Put this into your memory or stop the stop the recording right now and just order making sense of mindfulness because <laughs> it's such a great book oh thank you you know I, it really is you. and i've read a lot of books about mindfulness and this is very very powerful and down to earth such an easy way to learn about mindfulness yeah i think that um part of this channeling that happened was let's make this as accessible as we can for people that are going through life and they're feeling out of alignment and giving them some practical ways to like really just start thinking about things and integrating it in real time. Um, one of the people I dedicated the book to was uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who mm -hmm. was one of my teachers. Right. And I was lucky enough to spend some time with him while he was here on the planet. And Wayne had this way of making things very accessible, if you're familiar with his work. I am. If you're not listening, you got to go check Wayne Dyer yeah, out. For sure. He's an amazing guy. And um, I just feel like part of, actually, he was really involved in the channeling of the book. I feel like that needs to be carried on, is making some of these concepts accessible for people that wouldn't know otherwise and making it easy to understand. 
So that's what really came through in the writing of this book was that intention. And that comes through in the reading of the book as well. So that's Thank you. that's awesome. Wonderful. It really is. And uh, I always ask a question, Keith, about bullying, whether you were ever bullied. And you've told us the story about, mm. you know, being on stage. And that's not really bullying what happened there. But maybe as an adult, maybe as a speaker, or maybe, you know, as you were teaching some of these mindfulness concepts, has there ever been a story that you can share about bullying or you've been bullied or something like that? Absolutely. Um, well, when I was growing up, I had an exceptional amount of arm hair. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about that on one of your most recent shows, Did about you? how you decided yeah. to get rid of some of this arm hair. Yeah. yeah. This was the closest I personally came to feeling bullied, but I used to be made fun of, um, and I still do. People see my arm hair and they laugh and they go, oh, and I, when I was in Africa, actually, I think it was kind of funny, but the kids would like pet me because they were like, they thought it was a dog or something because I had so much arm hair. I can laugh about it now more. But at the time when I was growing up, this was a big deal for me. And uh, so I'd always wear long sleeve shirts uh-huh. and I didn't want anybody to see my arms. And it, it felt like if they did, they'd make fun of me. And at times they did. Right. And... Um, even today, some, one of my best friends, and I love him to death, but he, he said, dude, you've got to shave your arm hair. It's like, it's too much. And so we did. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, have to th- I have to say, it was, um, it was one of those things growing up where I was just really feeling self-conscious about how I looked physically. And it was just, to me, like a real small glimpse of what it would be like to be bullied on a major, like on a very big level. And I just, I have so much compassion for people that have experienced bullying. And at the same time, I have a lot of compassion for the bullies themselves because this is totally a form of fear and disconnect and unconsciously playing out. And I think I've heard you speak about this before of just people that feel like they're misunderstood and they are not heard and the pain that's getting stuck and it has to come out somehow. And and the damaging effect it can have on people. So yeah, that to me just gives me a little insight and compassion when I think of being made fun of for my arm hair, what it must be like to be bullied on a deeper level oh, too, yeah. you know? So looking back, would you have dealt with it differently knowing what you know about mindfulness now? Yes. I Well, yeah, based on all I know now, um, I would say that, yeah, because one of the powerful practices of mindfulness is learning how to love yourself, like fully love yourself. I speak about it as well in the book, but this practice of mirror work, um, getting in front of a mirror, one of the first things we tend to do is just beat ourselves up. We look at ourselves and I call it the saboteur mind set comes in and tells us bad hair day. Got to get to the gym. Look at that pimple. Look at your arm hair for me. (laughs) Mine still says this all the time. And you know, you get in front of the mirror, we beat ourselves up. But to me, one of the practices that I think is, a tall order, but really transformative is to see yourself in the mirror and to look in your eyes and to think a thought or to speak out loud like, hey, handsome, hey, cutie, or I love you, or I want to love you, and to make friends with ourselves. Because when we start learning how to love on ourselves, um, it's really, really hard to um, not give that away. You know, you can't give away what you don't have. So if if you're holding on to all this pain, and self-judgment and critique, 
that's what you're giving away. So one of the best ways to do it is to get in front of the mirror and to start loving yourself and not from a place of vanity and conceit, but from a place of like, this is actually a necessity in order to be of service in the world is to learn how to love myself and create peace within. So if I were to do it again, I'd go back to my old self in grade eight and say, yeah, you know what? Look at that arm hair. That's a miracle keeping you warm in Canada. (laughs) And what a miracle that it keeps growing and give it a cut maybe once in a while if you choose, but like love on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you talked about that in your book and about how you set up an app to send you messages. Oh, yes. I love you, Keith, and things like that, right? Yeah. Well, That's pretty cool. That's right. I had a coach that gave me this challenge originally. I I was going through a major breakup at the time um, and the girl that had cheated on me three times and I kept taking her back and my coach said enough of this like if you don't break up with this partner I'm I'm gonna you're gonna fire you as a client Mm. so I said okay deal so I broke up with this girl and then what I realized was I was missing her message every morning on text that would say I love you Mm. this flirting and so I went back to my coach I said this is devastating like now what I don't get my love note I'm like cold turkey and my coach said well no there's an app for this where it's called Tell Me Later. You go on the app, you text, it texts you whenever you, it sends reminders, you know? And so now when I wake up, I get a little text from myself, a little love note. I love you, Keith. You're so beautiful. And just getting that into your environment, it, it's transformative. It really is transformative. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, <laughs> I know how much uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer has meant to you, and you even went to Hawaii. I did. And you talk about that in your book. And one of the things you said in your book is, even though I'm in Canada, I enjoy daily trips to Maui, even though I live in Winnipeg, Canada. Tell us how you pull that off. <laughs> yeah, well, this has saved me a lot of air miles. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is a part of one of the principles in the book of, of opening your mind. And, um, you know, we, ha- we live, a lot of us live in this place called the conscious mind, the part of our mind that's making decisions. It's very uh, realist. It's the part of us that um, is operating in just basically analytical mode. And... But there's this other part of us called the unconscious mind. And when we start understanding some of the aspects of it, it's powerful. This is the part of us that holds all memory. It hosts our emotions and feelings. It's the part of us that uh, is running our body. It's all our physical sensation and all the senses. And so in essence, to get our thinking conscious mind to start focusing in on memory and focusing in on the feelings in the body and the sensations, What's really cool is our unconscious mind part of us doesn't operate in linear time, meaning that although we're sitting here right now in a basement in Toronto, my conscious mind goes, well, that's just reality. That's it. Yeah. The unconscious mind, as soon as I consciously start thinking about myself, for example, in Hawaii, if I were to close my eyes right now and just start feeling the sand of Kanapali Beach and hearing the waves and just smelling the air and feeling the temperature, like... I, my unconscious mind, my body mind doesn't know the difference. It starts taking direction from my thinking and my feeling starts evoking and I'm, I'm in Hawaii. And how this is so powerful is that it's like going to a good place, right? We do this naturally when our mind starts telling us stories or memories. So to consciously start thinking about places that relax you or places that feel good, it's a transformative practice Um, In those moments when you feel out of balance or you're anxious or you're like, oh, it's just not working out, to to just take a moment, close your eyes, go to a good place in your thoughts and then start invoking the senses, like actually go to a place and smell it and 
hear the sounds and feel whatever it is in that environment, the texture. And before too long, it actually, if you're tuning in, feels like you're there to the point where um, it's like you don't know the difference. Like I've been in Winnipeg. Some people call it Winterpeg where I live. It's the <laughs> coldest place in the world in the winter. Um, and I'll be sitting there and it's freezing outside, but I'm in Maui and my body actually feels like it's sweating and it starts sweating because my unconscious mind takes me to that memory, that place. So this is just such a powerful way to practice um, mindfulness. Wow, that is powerful. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of, of taking us back, can you take us back to when you auditioned to go on to Canadian Idol and what that was <laughs> like? What was that like? Oh, wow. That was so much fun. That was in 2006. And it was the last time I could audition for the show because I was turning 28. Okay. And at the age of 28... According to the TV station, you're no longer considered a rock star. So I thought, <laughs> I got to go for the audition. This is my last shot. So I went out and one thing led to the next and I made it down to the top 22. And so they flew me from Winnipeg to Toronto, where we are now, uh, to compete. And so I got to Toronto and some of the highlights, two, I had two huge mindfulness learnings. One, I get to the studio in Toronto and the first thing they did is they gave me tickets to hand out to my friends and family that might want to come watch the show live. But all my relatives live back in Winnipeg. Right. So I thought, what am I going to do with these tickets? So I go out on the street and I just get this intuition to just hand out these tickets to strangers. I'm watching the rerun of the show. Here I am on national television singing my song. And all of a sudden, the camera pans over to this group of strangers that I gave tickets to on the street. Right. The caption comes up, Keith's friends and family. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So my mom's calling, this is not your family. Who are these people? <laughs> and uh, I remember saying to her, somehow we're all connected. And what's amazing about this is one of the people I gave a ticket to turned out to be um, somebody that was affiliated with Craig Kielberger of Free the Children. Really? Which is just this amazing movement, the we movement yes. in the world, Me yes. to We Day and all this. And so Craig became a fan of my music and invited me to go over to Kenya and uh, volunteered there and did some work. And that led to another whole, I could go on and on. I ended up opening up another door to go to the Middle East and do some work in Dubai and just to think this was all from one connection of intuition going, hand out these tickets to strangers. So knowing that all things are connected, I mean, thinking about it, I'm on idle singing and this is still happening. The other connection though, I have to share this. It, I was, um, I got to work with this amazing vocal coach on Canadian Idol. Her name was Deb Bird and she's coached some of the greatest singers in the world. And so I got to spend 15 minutes a week with her rehearsing our song. Mm -hmm. I go into the audition or the rehearsal the first day and um, my mind was just racing. Like there was cameras everywhere filming. Like it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And uh, so I walk into this rehearsal, my mind's just racing, the music starts and I'm trying to sing, but I can't stop talking because I'm so nervous. So in between every line of the song, I'm like, Deb, is this okay? Like, is this the right key? So about 30 seconds into the song, Deb just goes, pause, stop. Like this is my mind just starts going like, you're getting sent home before you even get to compete. Right. She just looks at me and talk about a teachable moment. She just holds the space and she says, just take a breath. And we take a breath together. <sighs> you know? Yeah. And we take another two breaths. And then she holds my hands and she looks at me and she says, now sing. And I have to tell you, Bruce, the music came on after those three breaths. And I felt like I'd never had before with music. It was like 
I wasn't just going through the motions of the song. It's like the melody and the energy and the emotion underneath of the lyrics. It just, it took over and I was tearing up. It was like, oh, and you know, I watched some of the greatest singers in the world and that's what they're tapping into is the power of the present moment. Yes. And access it was the power of these three breaths for me, just these three breaths before singing. And we have access to this. It's like free of charge. And it's something we can do when we feel like we're not present and things aren't flowing. It's like, take a breath and things start connecting around us. It's just, oh, so those were, that was my Canadian Idol experience. Wow. It was really cool. And you talked about it a little bit in your book. And I I just love how you you interweave the story of your life with making sense of mindfulness, which is what the book is called. I think it's so cool. And I also think it's amazing that just this month, your book was released on November 8th. And that so happened to be your birthday. So you went to Nashville. So how did that all happen? Well, it was really synchronistic. And one of the things I found with mindfulness practice, when we really start tuning in and living in this way, things just align. They just kind of happen. It's like something's moving the checker pieces around and we're just kind of being lived. We're being done. And so I got a call from the publisher that said, are you free on November 8th? We're going to do a red carpet event for your book in Nashville. I said, am I free? It's my birthday. Of course I'm free for this. This is great. And, um, you know, I, there's, I was saying earlier to you before the podcast, my birthday is November 8th. And the symbolism of it, I think of the, the two ones in the month of November yeah. and then the zero eight. And they're all signs of infinity. And I feel like part of um, my purpose on this planet is to remind people of this place of infinity. There is something underneath the surface, as I said earlier, that's connecting us. Um, it's this place of nowhere, really. Mm-hmm. Um, nowhere. I mean, where do we come from? I don't know. From a place of nowhere. But all of a sudden, we arrive here on the planet. And if you take the words nowhere and just split it in two, there's like two words in there. Now here. Nowhere becomes now here. And then all of a sudden, we're now here in this physical form for however many years. And then all of a sudden, we, we kind of almost return back to this place of nowhere. And, you know, Muktananda was asked, um, Master, like, what is real? And he said, that which is real never changes. So when I think about this nowhere to now here to nowhere, I mean, we're always changing. I mean, we're always changing in this form of the now here. I mean, I, I just have to look back at pictures from 10 years ago and go, wow, like I'm not that body anymore. No, we're changing for sure. But the consistency, although we don't have a lot of evidence or we can't really name it, to me, it's this nowhere state. But when I think about the nowhere state, I think about this place of creativity and possibility and infinite, like it's infinite possibility under under the surface. And when I live from that place consciously, while still dancing in this physical form, what's amazing is that creative source takes over and starts aligning things. Um, I just have to listen to it. And so then it's like the red carpet on your birthday is going to happen. Or this is crazy. I'm gonna, I haven't shared this yet with anyone. But yesterday, as I was flying from Winnipeg to Toronto, I had, well, my wife drove me to the airport early in the morning and I was rushing to pack Mm-hmm. typical mindfulness teacher, not <laughs> practicing presence. And we're halfway to the airport and I realized I had left my wallet at home, but oh. I had to get on the flight. Right. So I'm like freaking out. And I, I just said, okay, you know what, Kristen, go home, get the wallet. I'm just going to fly to Toronto and you can mail it to me. I'm, I, this will be a fun adventure. 
So I get to the airport and um, I have no money. I have my phone. I'm thinking, well, I have Uber when I get to Toronto. Right. So I get on on the plane and I'm talking to this guy and I'm saying, I, I don't have any money. I don't know what's going to happen when I land in Toronto. And this guy goes, here's here's $20. Just take it. And I, all of a sudden, my savage are like, well, I didn't ask for money. but Right. So I'm like, are you sure? I'll pay you back. I get off the plane in Toronto and I'm about 10 steps off of the tarmac and I look down and there's literally a $5 bill right there on the floor at Pearson Airport. Wow. And I get a chill going, is this for me? <laughs> this is for me. Like, holy crap. So I take the $5 bill and I'm just thinking, this is magic that yeah. that things just flow when we're tapping into that source, that source energy that we came from. And it's just such a peaceful thing to just know that we're taken care of and we're safe in the present moment when we're co-creating with that, that essence. So I could go on and on about these synchronicities, yeah. but yes. <laughs> that's, that's an incredible, incredible story. And yeah, and, yeah and, and sometimes I think, and yet there are no synchronicities that they're just all, they're just all meant to be. They all happen, you know, they're right. all laid out for us. We call them synchronicities because that's a great word. <laughs> yes, that's right. But it actually is, I mean, it, the, the Hawaiians, ancient Hawaiians used to say, ika pono mea, which means everything is happening perfectly on time. It's just orchestrated that way. If we're paying attention, we see it and we tap into that energy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Very fun. Yeah, that is fun. Well, as we move toward the end of the interview, Keith, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? I think I know what you're going to say. Am I going to say Wayne Dyer? I thought so. <laughs> Dr. Wayne Dyer. He's yeah, absolutely. Sure. Hands down. Yeah. He, uh, huge mentor and friend and on the other side now just channeling through all the time yeah incredible man incredible writings super books that he's left behind i mean absolutely it's fantastic and uh well tell us about breathing in your life how is breathing a part of mindfulness for you yeah well breathing um to me is is an anchoring practice it's something fairly consistent um our breath is our life our life force so if we don't breathe we die um in North America, we're very chronic, shallow breathers, most of us. We're holding a lot of tension, stress, the invention of technology, although it's very fun yeah. and connects us in some ways. It, it really causes a lot of stress and pressure. We're living in a time where we're bombarded by all of these requests from our phone telling us who we should be friends with and where we should eat and how many steps and how, you know, all this stuff. And mm -hmm. it's stressful. And so our breath, as a result, physically, it, it kind of vanishes. It gets really shallow. Yeah. So the breath to me is a way to bring life back in. It's a way to create presence. It's a way to, in the moment, expand uh, charisma and to reset. There's so much to the breath. We need to spend an episode on that. Yeah, it's just totally. Like, it's just, it's... It's really at the core of who we are. It connects our, our thinking mind and our physical body and just anchors us into this moment. And let's talk about emotions. How has mindfulness changed how you see your emotions and how you feel them? Yeah. Well, a really um, amazing teacher of mine uh, once said, uh, emotions are energy in motion. Energy in motion. So I think of emotions uh, flowing through. And when they can't flow through, they get stuck. So if I think about like crying is a very good example of this. I mean, I, we've been raised in a culture that says crying is, you know, we've been conditioned to think it's just a bad thing. Don't cry. Boys, don't cry. Don't cry. Right, right. We apologize when we cry. 
And yet this is the body's way of flowing through energy that's just trying to release and move through. And if we clamp down and we say, don't cry, where does that energy go? It gets stuck in the physical body. It gets dammed up. And all of a sudden we start feeling inflammation and everything gets tight and constricted. Mm -hmm. And this turns into dis-ease, literally. It's the unconscious body's mind's way of trying to inform our conscious, like, hey, you're, there's something here that's not working. You're out of alignment. So emotions to me are energy in motion. It's helping us um, become aware of what's happening in the moment. What am I feeling? And if we're not listening, uh, we really get out of alignment. So, Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's for sure. We do definitely get out of alignment. And, uh, you know, your book, Making Sense of Mindfulness, is so fantastic. And I encourage all my listeners to check that book out. But what book would you recommend related to mindfulness other than your own? And I will put that into our show notes. Wow, there are so many. Um, well, there's one in particular that uh, I was mentioning earlier to you. It's a book by a woman named Catherine Ponder. And she has a book called The Dynamic Laws of Healing. And uh, this is just a gem of a book. It's um, especially for those of you that are on a healing journey. I think we all are in some way. Yes, I do too. But it's just some really like radical ways of thinking about healing um, and not to downplay the Western medicine th side of things. I mean, my dad was cured of cancer from chemotherapy, but I think that there's a lot to be said about the power of our thinking and our mind and our beliefs. And this book, The Dynamic Laws of Healing, it's just an amazing read. And I think there's a lot of connection to mindfulness about thinking about how am I thinking and how is that affecting my body? And there's just some really good practices in this book. So one of my faves right here. I'm holding it right now. Super, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't read that. So I look forward to reading some of some of Catherine Ponder's works because it uh, sounds like she's an amazing writer. She is. Yeah. Yes. And my last question is about an app. And you mentioned one app already, but... Is there an app you would mention related to mindfulness that could, could help our listeners? There's a bunch. Now, I'm sure you've mentioned this on your show, but Insight Timer. Yes. I really, really love that app too. Um, a friend of mine, Sarah Blondin, uh, is on there, and she's from Winnipeg as well. Okay. We have very similar paths. She was, uh, she was on a Canadian reality TV show called The Bachelor. Okay. <laughs> she was like a finalist on this show as one of The Bachelor's girls or whatever. But she's actually taken a path too since then into more mindfulness. And uh, so I use her meditations on Insight Timer a lot. And I absolutely love her voice and her perspective. And it's just really deep, deep meditation. So um, that's the, the one. But there's also Calm. I love Calm as an yeah, app. It's that's a, a good one. one. There's a bunch. But, you know, I, I really do think Insight Timer's got it. Yeah. It's really good. It is excellent. And they now have some courses on there as well that you can sign up for. You know, they've, they've really grown a lot. Yeah, those courses are incredible yeah, in there. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. So, yeah, check that out. Well, Keith, it's been just great meeting up here in Toronto and talking with you and talking about your new book and how exciting it is that you've, you've released this book with a publisher. And, you know, I like the subtitle, Five Principles to Integrate Mindfulness Practice into Your Daily Life, because we can all, we can all read about this. But the key is actually integrating it, yes. actually making use of it. Yes. And you make it, you make it feel easy when, when, you know, reading this book, it just seems like, yeah, I can do this definitely. And, and of course, all of our listeners can do this. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And, uh, Thank you. I'm just honored to be here on this pod. It's so cool to be on a podcast I listen to. It's like, <laughs> wow, this is awesome. So I really appreciate you being here with me too. Thank yeah, you. great for me to be here with a listener. So I love that too. So all the best to you, Keith. 
Thank you, Bruce. Take care. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. If you enjoyed today's interview with Keith McPherson, you very much might enjoy his online course. You'll certainly enjoy his book. I can guarantee that. His book is called Making Sense of Mindfulness, as I mentioned earlier in the show. And his online course is also called Making Sense of Mindfulness. And you can get that online course by going to mindfulnessmode.com slash M-S-O-M making sense of mindfulness it's an affiliate link and uh it's a hundred dollars off if you act now for a limited time i highly suggest it those videos that he's made and all of the worksheets and the materials are excellent so check out the online course till next time mindful tribe use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode